Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Attention pro athletes. Want to secure your financial legacy and thrive off the field? Oak Bridge Wealth Management, led by wealth manager Chris Anasetti, is your dedicated financial planning ally. But don't take it from me. Take it from the Dallas Cowboys' Tyler Biotish. He says, Chris set goals financially and has been incredibly impactful in my journey in the NFL. Experience our customized, comprehensive approach, trusted by top NFL players. Don't leave your financial success to chance. Connect with Chris on Instagram at OakbridgeWM underscore Anaceti. That's OakbridgeWM underscore A-N-I-C-E-T-E. And let Oakbridge Wealth Management guide you across the goal line. Welcome back to Believe in Badgers on the Believe Network, presented by BetOnline.ag and Oak Ridge Wealth Management. I'm Matt Perkins, joined as always by Badger legend, the Hebrew Hammer himself, Matt Bernstein. Bernie, how are we doing today? Yeah, buddy, it's Friday. Uh, we got, listen, every day is a holiday, but this one, this is a special dude we got on. Probably, well, one of the best looking guys I think we've had on in a while. Shed about 100 pounds. One of the most interesting men. Dude, Jake, you must have been in a ton of magazines. Are you the most interesting man in the world? Close? <laughs> well, I drink enough I drink enough Mexican beer to be the most interesting man in the world. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> you must have gotten that from your early days in Wisconsin. You know, you, you know where all the bodies are buried, Matt Bernstein. <laughs> we will not go. We will not dig them up, I promise. Well, maybe only one or two, but yes, we've got yeah, maybe one or two. We've got Jake Wood here today. Um, if you are a Badger or Badger fan, you probably know who Jake Wood is already. But uh, founder of Team Rubicon, founder of Groundswell, uh, former Badger, Marine, and uh, one of the most inspiring people that I think you're going to, uh, you know encounter here on this planet so like we said it is an honor to have jake here with us uh, before we hop into it just a quick note we are pre- we are presented by betonline.ag head on over to the website use your mobile device to sign up today receive a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v bet online where the game starts uh bernie i'm gonna pass the pass the ball back to you here um and, and, and get started with jake because you go back well quite quite a long way uh with him Dude, let me tell you where my Jake Wood first experience was. This dude figured out how to write an email to all the freshmen incoming in the in our class and sent it out to like my horse53 at AOL.com like <laughs> email. And my dad was like, man, this is so nice of Jake Wood to do. Like you don't you don't know who this guy is. I like I, I was like, no, I have no idea who any of these people are. Um Jake, did you do you remember doing that? Yeah, no, I. It's funny, I do. I remember, I remember asking. Uh, I, I must have been Coach Huber, or one of the coaches. I'm like, hey, can I get all the guys' email address? So we can like get a email chain started, get get to know one another. And I think it was Huber because he looked at me like I had a you know, you know what, growing on my forehead. Like you want to do what? And uh, you know, that was kind of my my welcome to Jim Huber moment, but. It was cool, man. Like it, I had a bunch of conversations with guys before we stepped on campus resulting from that. And it, it was, you know, like we had a, an interesting group of dudes. So you can imagine what like some of those preliminary phone calls were like with the likes of uh, with that crew. But 
Yeah, man, that's a blast from the past. That was 25 years ago. And and I don't even know if there was a reply all uh, button at that point. <laughs> I mean, some of the guys didn't even have emails. Like, like le legit coaches would be like, yeah, we don't have an email for this kid. Don't, don't think he has one. I mean, you know, that's what it was like. May imagine that. And that it's, it's still bonkers to think about. But Jake, let's go back to like the early, early Jake Wood when you might have been a little bit shorter um, and you were definitely bigger than you are now. Uh, where does where does football originate for Jake Wood? Uh, yeah, I mean, my, my dad got me into football. My dad was a, you know, a good high school football player. I think he was you know, all, all state in the state of Ohio and, you know, um, you know, played like one of those like crazy semi-pro like, uh, football leagues when he was, uh, you know, young adult, like, you know, drinking beer on the bus on the way to the game and, you know, drinking beer probably at halftime and I don't know, make it 45 bucks a game or whatever. Um, and he just, he just loved it, him and his brother. Uh, and so like, I, I grew up, like he loved, you know, he, taught me about the game and all that stuff, but I, I didn't start playing until, um, seventh grade, you know, it was when I first really like put on pads and started playing football. Um, it just really wasn't a thing where I lived to do it before that. And, you know, I was all, you know, I was a big kid in junior high, uh, immediately got stuck on the line. Actually, no, I played fullback Her, my seventh grade year. I played fullback. I wore number 40. Now I'm now it's coming back to me. I think I've, I, I allowed myself to block this out. Yeah. I, I wore number 40. And, uh, and, uh, and then like next year, they're like, you're a guard kid. <laughs> you're a guard son. So, uh, but this, this might, this might bring it back for you, Bernie. I, I wore 40 cause I was a Nebraska Cornhuskers fan and Corey Schlesinger. Do you remember that guy oh, yeah. at Nebraska? Like that guy was God. So I wanted to be Corey Schlesinger and I wore number 40. Oh man, that's too good. So you've got moved to guard. And then as you progress through high school, you must, I mean, people must have been taking a look. They're like, man, Jake Wood, you, what are you, like 6'6", 300 pounds? Like, they must have been like, man, this guy could play at the next level? I mean, I was I was smaller than that. Like, I was, you know, I was 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, but I, I was probably playing my junior year at 250. Okay. And, you know, that's when you're getting recruited is off of your junior tapes, you know, unless you're really good and you're getting, you know, offers as a sophomore. So, like, my junior tapes, I was um, sending around. I was 6'5", 250. Um I think like the scouting report on me was probably like good feet, smart player. Right. Um, and, uh, and then the, you know, the, the decision you know, that everybody had to make was, can he get, can the guy get big enough? Right. And then for me, can he stay healthy? Which we all kind of, you know, we know that wasn't the case, but, um, and, and I don't, you know, Matt, I don't know if you remember, but like, you know, think back to our class and how our freshman year played out. They recruited me, Matt Lawrence, J, uh, J Poe, um, you know, all these like smaller offensive linemen because because Barry had thought, hey, we're going to switch to the spread. You know, and remember, we went to that spread offense our freshman year and we just got dominated by the Big Ten. Like we went five and seven our freshman year. Barry's like, enough of that shit. We're going, you know, we're putting Bernie back in the backfield. We're going two tight end sets and we're getting back to the basics. And then it was like, okay, well, 290 pound Jake, you know, not the grinder that they needed. Um and that was kind of that. Probably should have gone to play at Purdue. <laughs> well, I'm happy you didn't go play at Purdue. No, I know, because I don't hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> we won't share that with Purdue or anyone who went there. Um, oh, man, I have, there's a guy who walks around my, t my town with all Purdue gear on all the time. I live in New York. 
He's the only one I've ever seen in New York with Purdue gear on. And I, I kind of chuckle every time I see him. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it, it just brought that right back. Um, yeah. So, so, so when you're like a junior senior, who else is on the docket? Like, where are you thinking and how does Wisconsin kind of take the lead? Oh, you mean in the recruiting? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, let me, let me get a better question. How on earth did you meet coach Huber and then come play for coach Huber? That's actually the, that's, that's, it's interesting because that's exactly the story. I, so I, you know, I was getting recruited like most of the big 10, big 12 schools. Like I said, I grew up a Nebraska fan. So like you, you do that, that camp circuit, your sophomore, junior year, right? And I remember I went to the, you know, the Illini camp, the Iowa, Iowa state, Nebraska, um, you know, and, and I think I went to a couple of others that were like one day camps and, uh, you know, I remember like my first scholarship offer, I went to the Iowa State, you know, Cyclone football camp, Dan McCarney was the head coach. And uh, it, it's interesting when they when they have their eyes on you as a recruit, they start at least for the offensive and defensive linemen, they start pulling guys out of the drills, and they just pull them aside. And it's just like, boom, go one on one. They're like, hey, this is our top defensive tackle recruit this is our top O line and you're just smashing all day. And it's fun. Like when you're when you're young and you can take that beating every day, like now it just gives me anxiety thinking about it. But like back then, like that's what you lived for. And I remember uh, there was this, there was this kid who's like, had been all state his sophomore year, big name in, in Iowa playing defensive end or tackle. And I just smoked the kid and like, and then I smoked him again. I smoked him again. And uh, that afternoon, the head coach pulled me into his office. Like, Hey, you know, Jake, we want you to play. We want you to be a cyclone. It was my first scholarship offer. And that's like, that was a fun moment, you know? And then like the summer progressed, you know, I got other offers and all that stuff. And then um, what's in it, you, you know how it is. Like every coaches recruit based off of FOMO, right? So all those websites, like those blogs, like rivals.com start like, hey, you know, this Jake Wood kid has offers from Iowa, Iowa State, you know, Nebraska, whatever. And, uh, and, uh, and then you start getting calls from the coaches based on FOMO. Like, I don't want to be the idiot that missed out. So I got a, I got a, uh, I got a call from Wisconsin. They're like, Hey, we want you to come up for this, this one day visit. It wasn't a camp. They just like, we want you to see the campus. I show up, you know, it's a two hour drive, two and a half hour drive from where I was go with my dad. We walk around campus. They, they, they take you into the wet weight room. Coach Detmer was there. He gives you like the shoulder squeezes he like starts like just putting his hands all over your body trying to assess the muscle mass it's like a, it's like a, a cattle exhibit and uh and i remember on the drive home i got a call from coach huber he's like we like you he's like you'll hear from us you know really soon and the next day there was a fedex on our doorstep with a paper scholarship offer um and i fell in love with the campus on that trip and so my, my decision ultimately came down to two schools. I had a full ride to Stanford and Wisconsin. Okay. So I took my first official visit to Stanford and, uh, and that was a funny experience. Like, you know, I, I got good grades, got a good test score. I still, when I applied to Stanford, the top, it was paper applications. It was back in the day. And it was stamped football at the top. So like, make no mistake. I don't think I got in fully on merit, but I got into Stanford and uh, I took my official visit. Tyrone Willingham was the coach. And it was funny because like, I'm sitting in this dude's office. Campus is beautiful, you know, and, and Tyrone Willingham sitting across from me and my dad's in there and he starts talking in the third person. He's like, Tyrone Willingham is a 
you know, he starts talking about how he is as a coach, but in the third person, I'm like, this is fucking weird. And then, you know, I'm spending time with my, I'm spending time with my offensive line coach and he's telling me his philosophy. He's like, yeah, I don't really yell at my players. I'm more of like a supportive guy. And my high school coach was like, like he just, you know, yell, scream, fire and brimstone guy. So the vibes I was getting from these dudes was like kumbaya. And I'm like, man, this isn't football. You know, I went into their weight room, no free weights. They didn't do squats, no power cleans. I'm like, you guys play football or like water polo. <laughs> and so, and then I go to, I go to, I go to Wisconsin. It's just the exact opposite. Huber sits me down. He's like, I'm not much for small talk. So I want you to show up. Like if you come here, cool. If not, get the fuck out of here. And I'm like, I want to play for this dude. You know, so, um, so I, that's literally why I went to Wisconsin because I wanted to get yelled at by Coach Huber, and then I hated myself for four years. <laughs> Dude, that guy really could um could get in your brain and like play with you. Oh, I was I was told the most irreverent things you've ever heard, like things I could not repeat. I, I, I imagine there's some irreverent things that get said on this podcast. You would get banned. No, if we said would, what he there'd be like one long belief. I just remember sitting there going, man, Jake, are you okay? Like that was, but, it, but he did it to everyone. Like nobody was safe. He, did. he, 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 he was, was, yeah, nobody was safe. No one was nobody safe. Nobody was safe. Uh, he, uh, yeah. Okay, wait, so, so, I, so. I went to, I went to Joe Thomas's uh, Hall of Fame induction, you know, back in the summer. And, and, and every, the night before, there was a bunch of us sitting around, a bunch of O-line guys. And we were all like, do you think Huber's going to show up? And half of us were like, he, the guy, like, I still check underneath my bed at night before I go to sleep to make sure he's not like, hiding under there. Like, I hope he doesn't show up. And other, the other half was like, like, no, I've been talking to my therapist. I need to get something out. <laughs> you know, like, I hope I can see him. And I walk up to the guy. He's sitting there. You know, he hasn't gotten younger. Uh, it might surprise you. And, uh, and I sit down. I'm like, coach, so good to see you. I don't think he knew who I was. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not even sure he remembered who I was. And so I'm like, nice chat, coach. <laughs> Dude, Jake, JP showed up to a tailgate this year that I was with with Kleber. And I nearly, like, <laughs> my pants. Whip that out, Matt. I was like, no. I, I like the dude. But I, I don't want to relive those days of getting yelled at oh. for just even putting eye black on my Like, you couldn't do anything. You take your wrists. Some coach was yelling at you that your 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 wrist was. It, it actually made us, I think, tougher. But it was also really annoying. And I don't have a therapist, but I probably do need one. <laughs> I, I I remember once during a game, JP, the you know, defense had come off uh, the field, and JP was just, you know, laying into them. And then there, and then the, the crowd kind of went quiet for a minute, and he didn't stop, so he's just going, going, going. And this woman who's like 25 rows up behind the bench, probably 75 years old, says, you need to watch your mouth, you know, and, and you know, like chastises him. And he he stops and he's like starts shaking and he's like, you mind your business. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. They couldn't separate like uh, football from their life or like coaching kids. No. It was pretty bananas. No. Oh man, you just brought it like. Weaver's like, I'm scared that he's coming, but he's coming because we were with um, Jess. It's amazing that he has like the nicest kids ever. And he is. Oh, like, I know. Like outrageously bananas. Um, yeah. By the way, I saw Joey Huber, his son, 
in like a bar a yeah. couple years ago. And I was like, hey, Joey, man, it's great to see you. Please tell me your dad's not here, right? And he's like, no, 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 don't worry. I know, I know. I'm like, okay, I was going to go chug like seven beers if he was here. <laughs> All right, let's get back oh, to you, man. Jake, um, and your trauma uh, as a Badger football player. No, but so wait, so when you showed up, you I don't think you were there on my visit, were you? On your official visit? Uh, it was during a massive snowstorm. Then no, um, you were with Rob Brooks, I think. Yeah, 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 yep. Yeah, what was it, it was fun, man. I, you know, I mean, it was like, I'm from the Midwest, so, you know, a little snow doesn't scare me. I, I was also like Lyle Mayava and uh, I think Donovan were on that trip as well. So they show up from Hawaii. There's like 18 inches of snow that dropped the night before, right? So, you know, I, I'm getting shown around campus by Mike Lorenz. He's only a year older than us, so he can't get us into any. Like, we're trying to get into the bars. It's not working. We go to a couple house parties. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. I, there was a snowball fight in the street, and I'm like, you know, like, First of all, I'm like from again. I'm from the Midwest. I'm like these are my people. You know, I just gotten I just gotten back from Palo Alto, California, the week before. Which, by the way, is the most gorgeous campus in the world. You show up. There's like ten golf carts lined up for the recruits, each one driven by a lovely young lady, and who's going to take you on a tour of campus by the palm trees and 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 that was nice, but a snowball fight in you know december you know on university avenue i was like this is where i want to be dude that is so wacky i love that i love that that's i mean it couldn't have been two more wildly different schools I, yeah i mean crazy one school just doesn't even do powerlifting, and the other school you get mf <laughs> if you show up one minute late to a to a meeting yeah um, all right so 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 jake wood shows up on campus day one we're at the we're at the region. You meet all these dudes you had conversations with. Walk us through like that first. I mean, because I remember I showed up later, but that was a wild crowd of people. Oh yeah. I mean, listen, I, I played high school sports in Iowa, man. Like, you know, there's like, there's like 10 to 12 D one prospects that come out of that state every year. So you know, throughout the course of a season, I might play against three or four of them. And like, they might be a white, like, then you show up and you're, you're in a room. I'd never, I had never not been the biggest guy in a room by like a wide margin. And suddenly you're crammed into that tiny region apartment. And, you know, you're next to like Jeff Lang. And you remember that dude uh, that Nick, from Michigan that quit after like five days? Nick, Nick yeah, yeah, Nick yeah. Topper, Nick something. Yeah, yeah, Dude, yeah. It, he quit it's not to go easy back to, to show up. Friend. Yeah. Or she, she, it, she came. It, it, oh, that's right. She yeah, for, for, yeah, for the yeah, summer. He quit the and first week get... of football camp. Yeah. Because that is Huber a wild. nice thing to say about that. <laughs> but then, um, wait, it was, it was like, you, I don't know. Nick, Jeff It's Lang. hard not to be intimidating. You know, like, I again, like, I've always been the biggest guy in the room, and suddenly, like, I'm probably the smallest among that group of, like, incoming offensive and defensive linemen, and I'm like, all right, strap it up. Let's go, <laughs> you know? Um, and then and, and, and then it's it's not just them. It's like you're, you know, like, you show up, and I'm like, this kid plays fullback? Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? 
Um, yeah, it was wild. It was wild. So we can get, we can skip through the summer training was a nightmare also because I didn't know, you know, nobody knows anyone. You're trying to have a good time. You're there for two months before school starts. You're paying your own way, which is nuts to me now because you now no athlete yeah. pays a cent for anything. Let's talk. You mentioned it. Let's jump into seminary because that, I mean, I have to equivalent and maybe we're going to talk about it later, but like that felt like joining the military. Like you literally went yeah. somewhere else and you only did one thing and I did nothing else. What did, what did yeah. Jeff Mack used to scream like eat, sleep, shit, football? Like that's really all we did. <laughs> what, yeah. And they didn't tell you what to bring. And as a freshman, I had everything with me. Everything I owned was at the seminary to two huge duffel bags. What was it like showing up there? And what was the seminary like for you? I mean, dude, it's like, like you said, like you don't know what to expect. And, and anytime there's like an unknown, it, it creates some level of fear and anxiety, right? So you're like, okay, so we're going to go off campus to this converted monastery for the next three weeks. We're going to have sleep in a room. There's no air conditioning. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to, practice three times a day, watch film for six hours, get screamed at the entire time. You can do nothing wrong. Your entire life is gripped with this fear that your alarm clock is not going to go off and you're going to like miss something. And, uh, so man, it was like, it was tough, you know, it was tough, but, um, yeah, I, I remember that. So back then the freshmen used to report early, right? So we got there three days, I think before varsity, it, like I felt like I was doing pretty good. Like, you know, I was again, you know, a good student. Like I, so I, I felt like I picked up the playbook fast and I felt like I was competing pretty well. And then the varsity showed up and, uh, that's an intimidating moment. Like I remember Wendell Bryant returning all American, you know, and, and so that's when they start splitting off the scout team. And of course I get, I get sent over with the scout team and, uh, we're then at, we come in to have practice at the McLean center that first varsity practice. So this is first varsity practice. And uh, they peel off the scout team. They say, go, hey, all you scout offensive linemen, go over there with Coach Palermo. And we already talked about him, right? So he starts teaching us how to run blocking drills against his defensive line. And, you know, we go through a half dozen drills. And then I, I come up, you know, again, having already done a half dozen of these, and uh, they moved me into guard. I came in as a, as a, to play tackle. So I'm playing guard. But that meant that on this particular play, I was lined up against Wendell Bryant, 295-pound All-American. And, uh, yeah, intimidated. Like, obviously intimidated. And so, I, you know, this, snap the ball, I come off the line, and, and Wendell just embarrasses me. Like, just does some kung fu move. You know, I fall flat on my face, whatever it is. And po Coach Palermo was just like, you know, veins popping out. And he's like, what was that, Wood? Are you titty bumping in? And... And just screams, line up and run it again. And so at this point, you're lining up. And now they know what play you're running. So, so like, you might have had a 10% chance of not looking like an idiot the first time. You have a 0% chance the second time, right? <laughs> and so I come off the line. And Wendell just takes my arm and, and literally rips it out of the socket. Like, literally takes my shoulder and rips it out of the socket. And, and it's it's hanging there. And it's so painful and i turn around and now after jp coach palermo has just yelled at me for now i have to turn around and tell him that i'm injured <laughs> so, so now he's looking at me like 
you are the most worthless athlete we've ever recruited in the history of this program. And he just, he doesn't even, he won't even talk to me and just tells me to get out of his face. And I go over to a trainer, trainers, like, like no sympathy whatsoever. They just reach up. They like pop my shoulder back in. They're like, you're done for the day. I'm like, okay, I, I, I think so. And they fast, fast forward. You know, I, I, I get, I get uh, an MRI that evening. They confirm, like I tore my labrum and this is what they say. They're like, tore your labrum. You need surgery. I'm like, oh, it sucks. Like season's over. I was going to redshirt anyway, but like it sucks. And uh, they go, but what we're going to do, we're going to give you about four days off and you're going to go back and, and keep practicing. And I'm like, four days doesn't seem like enough to heal it, but like, okay. And, and then they, they look at my confusion. They're like, it's going to dislocate again. We'll pop it back in. They're like, this is probably gonna happen about a half dozen more times. And then come mid October, we'll have surgery. You'll have exactly six months until spring ball starts, but at least now you'll be able to get six to eight weeks of, of practice in six to eight weeks of practice and six to eight more shoulder dislocations. It sounds like, and so sure enough, that's what happened. Like I spent the next six weeks, every other week I would dislocate my shoulder. They would pop it back in. I'd get three days off. I'd go back out there. I'd get four practices, dislocate my shoulder. And by the time October rolled around, like, I don't know, I had like two fucking threads of ligaments holding my, my arm bone in and they sewed it back up. And six months later, I was in spring ball. Yeah. <laughs> it, it brings back, I mean, the, I won't dive into this, but the training staff, I don't think does a lot of people favors, at least not when we were there. I don't know what it's like now. I mean, I think they were, they were nice guys like Ian, Dennis, like they were, they were nice guys. I got to know them well because I spent a lot of time with them, <laughs> but they were in service of the program. I totally. Right. Mm -hmm. They were in service, but that was their job. And, you know, I, I think, I think I, I agree with you. I think today there's a more holistic lens on health than there was when we existed. I mean, Bernie, you know, concussions didn't exist when we played football and I, I know that you probably gave a hundred people concussions when you were playing, but you probably received one or two. And in, unless you lost consciousness, like literally, unless you lost consciousness and they had to use smelling salts on you, like you did not have a concussion. That's just not how it worked. The science wasn't there. Right. So no, I agree. Listen, I think they were nice human beings, but that didn't help fighting for me when I needed you to fight for me. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but yeah. Neither here nor there. Listen, dude, that's a horrible experience, though. And then you yeah, no, it's miserable. Terrible. What is JD? Because then you have to go tell JD, like, hey, I can't do anything. JD's oh, not yeah. happy about it. And then you got to deal with bot, and then you got to deal with everybody else, and you are just one human being. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just you know you 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 it's you get one chance to make a first impression right and and even though this you know i'd been on campus for for five weeks or whatever it was like this was effectively my first impression is hey i was the kid that couldn't stay healthy and and, and listen it was the truth like I, I couldn't stay healthy but like you also want to be that guy because football is all about being reliable and i was i remember you know my junior year um i don't know if you remember uh in spring ball my june our junior year uh, Coach Huber moved me into guard from left tackle where I was backing up Joe Thomas. And during the spring ball, had me compete for the starting uh, guard position. 
and I ended up by the, by near the end of spring, I'd won the starting offensive guard position, practicing with the ones for, you know, the last three weeks of spring, I was going to the spring game, going to be the starting guard. And then I blew out my other shoulder. And I remember coach Huber taking me into his office and like, actually for the first time, like a little compassion in his voice. He's like, would I, I can't give you any more chances. Like I cannot, I can't invest in you anymore because I can't rely on you. If I, if you can't stay healthy, I can't continue to give you, give you these chances. And like, at that point, I kind of knew the writing was on the wall. Like, you know, I was not getting healthier. Let's put it that way. It, it, uh, just, uh, but that, uh, what a hard conversation to have as like a 20 year old, right? Like pretty crazy. Oh yeah. It, I remember my sophomore year, I called my dad and I said, Hey, I'm thinking about transferring. Back then it was a lot harder to transfer, but I, I thought one, I'm, I'm now in the wrong program because I'm not a power offensive tackle, right? Two, we had just recruited Joe Thomas. But I was like, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be able to crack the starting lineup here at tackle. Like I should, I should, I should go play for a, a, a spread or West coast offense. Like, you know, I, you know, the Stanford's or the Iowa States, that's what they were running. And I'm like, maybe I should do that. And my dad's like, don't be a quitter. And, uh, and at the same time, like, I freaking loved our team and Madison. So like, this was one of those like moments of weakness where I was like, eh, you know, if I wanted, if I wanted to maximize my football career, I probably should have transferred. But at that point I was like, hey, there's more to life. And I love the guys I'm with. I love Madison. And you know, that was it. Yeah. We had a very, very good time. Yeah. Uh, so we did. Absurdly good. So you mentioned Joe Thomas, you mentioned some other dudes. I'm sure when you showed up, Ben Johnson was that guy. You're like, yeah. what the heck is going on here? Yeah. That was my moment. I'm like, Ben Johnson's 6'8", like 300. He doesn't even look nice, although he is kind of nice. He doesn't look it. Who else? Like, when you're in that room with all those guys, yeah, Huber's being Huber, but, like, who else is in there? Like, who's, like, going at it? Like, who are you having such a good time with? Like, what, what's the room, like, in the, in the O-line, the big heavy room? that it was it was you know so after games after practice like you know every single thing that happens in practice is recorded right and you watch every snap every drill and uh and and you you become so fearful of coach huber that you have like this mental note you you remember every single snap from a practice you know did you win or lose across all 75 snaps that you took or however many drills you did and so, and so, you know, when the one is coming up, because you always get made to look like a fool at least once. And so everybody's just kind of sitting there like, you know, waiting and I'm like, oh God, in three plays, I remember when I got, I, I totally whiffed on that, you know, that T block. And then, you know, he's, he's got that little rewinder and the play runs and you see your, you see yours and you're like, oh, it looks worse on film than it thought. <laughs> and, and what Huber would do is he would just, he would sit there, he'd watch it and he'd rewind it. And he'd watch it and he'd rewind it and he knew what he was doing because you're just like sitting there and you're like oh my god can i disappear you know <laughs> like you're trying to and then he would when it was really bad he wouldn't even yell he would just set the, the remote down and he would kind of breathe out <sighs> he would just sometimes in just a, in a really low calm voice say something like that was the worst god damn attempt I have ever seen. <laughs> you, know, you just, you just knew there was there was 
only every once in a while would he bring any levity to the situation. And when he did, it crushed because every other every other thing that came out of his mouth was so horrific. Attention athletes. Do you want a frictionless and tailored financial planning experience to secure your future? Well, look no further. Introducing Oak Bridge Wealth Management, the premier financial planning firm for professional athletes. Led by wealth manager, Chris Anasetti. Our team provides a unique and comprehensive approach, ensuring your financial success both on and off the field. We understand the unique challenges you face as a professional athlete, from managing cash flow habits to planning major business purchases and navigating complex contracts. That's why we've developed a proven process, working closely with our strategic partners to provide seamless solutions for your unique financial journey. Our services evolve with your career, offering short, mid, and long-term goal setting, portfolio optimization, real estate investments, and more. As you transition to life beyond the field, we support you with career development and philanthropic ventures. But don't just take our word for it. Top NFL players like Chase Roulier, Tyler Biotish, Alec Ingold, and more trust Oak Bridge Wealth Management to guide them towards financial success. Troy Dye of the Minnesota Vikings says, I really love the work that Chris and the rest of the Oak Bridge group do. I especially like the honesty and transparency when it comes to setting up financial goals and plans that best fit my needs and situation. It's time to elevate your financial game plan. Connect with Chris on Instagram at OakbridgeWM underscore Anacete. That's OakbridgeWM underscore A-N-I-C-E-T-E. And join the winning team. So, so Jake, like, coming from uh, coming from Iowa, you walk in. What is it like to go into Camp Randall for the first time to see it? Yeah, man, it's, I mean, it's wild. That first game day, like, and especially you know, even as a freshman, I'm redshirted. You know, I, I'm 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 injured. I'm wounded. But like, you know, I'm suiting up for the game. You know, you're not going to play because you both suck and you're redshirted. And uh, but you run out of that tunnel and it's a high like I mean, it's like the Super Bowl, that first one. You know, you, you walk through the stadium, the, the crowd is sitting there like clapping you on the hands and the helmet and the shoulder pads. And you get into that tunnel and you run down. Now the entrance is all different and stuff. But like, man, uh, you it's just like you're the center of the universe for a moment. It's crazy. Um, the band is playing. They got the dance squad there. Like it's just this. The, the energy is. It's hard to describe, man. It's hard to describe. I'll just say I redshirted it also, and it was the best thing that I've ever done. And I was one of the worst fullbacks to ever show up. I got mf'd like you did, Jake, all day by the coaches. They're like, you came here. Like, how did we recruit you? That was like the lowest low of an insult. Like, how did we recruit you? Why? What were we thinking? Um. Yeah. But that, Why did we waste a scholarship on you? Yeah. <laughs> All those are the worst. Those like yeah. some of that stuff still sits in my brain. Like, man, it cuts. And every time it's cuts, man. Person, I'm like, man, this guy abused me. Not on purpose. He just did it within practice. But oh, dude, yeah, Nick Grice, like pull, pulling around, you know, to or like stepping into an A gap or a B gap with Nick Grice and coming downhill. Like, oh my god. Oh, I got concussed so many times <laughs> just stepping into that gap to to block a blitz. Oh, 
Man. Good times, good times. So, Jake, I want to pivot because I actually find your 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 life from football on is just as amazing as it was during football. Well, it was a low bar during football. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you set the bar extremely high because I don't think anyone could really achieve what what you what you've achieved in your life. When does the thought start happening to say, maybe I do want to join the Marines? And also not just that, like maybe I want to do the hardest thing in the Marines as a six five, you know, like there are not many snipers who are six six five, six six in general. There's nobody who's yeah. three hundred pounds. So when does that thought start clicking and then how does that build and then what how do you go from <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, you know, listen that my um when I was in high school, I thought about joining the military. Like before, like I knew I could play D1 football. Like it was an avenue that I really considered. I, I looked at West Point Naval Academy and and actually went so far as to like begin those applications. I got my nomination from a senator in Iowa to West Point and uh, Chuck Grassley, 25 years later, he's 96 years old and still in the Senate. Um, but, uh, and they recruited me to play football hard because I could qualify to get in and it's hard, you know, for them to find quality football players. So I, 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 you know, I entertain that 9-11 happened our freshman year, all those things. Like it was always in the back of my mind, you know, and at a certain point, I think around that junior year, when I, I shared that story about spring ball and blowing out my other shoulder, like I knew my career was over, right. You know, I, I'd already determined that I was never going to make the NFL, but I kind of came to the conclusion. I'm probably not even gonna break the starting line in my senior year. And I was like, all right. So I just made the decision that, you know, I wanted to go serve. The wars were going on. And, um, I used, you know, I went to, I, I spoke to the Marine Corps early um, to see if they I could get in as an officer. And, you know, I, I wasn't dead set on going in as an officer, but the, the, the officer recruiter basically looked at two blown out shoulders and a foot surgery. And he's like, you're too much paperwork. I won't even think about it. I went to the Army and I requested a special forces contract. And the same thing, they're like, you got two blown out shoulders. We can't give you a guaranteed school to airborne or slot to airborne because that's, you need your shoulders to work for airborne school. So they were like, join the regular army. And after four years, you can try for special forces. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. And so I went back to the Marine Corps enlisted guy. I'm like, Hey, I want to join the infantry. And he looked at me, he's like, you're about to be a college graduate. Why would you want to enlist in the Marine Corps infantry? I'm like, bro, take it or leave it. <laughs> like I'm making an easy sell right now. Like, and, uh, and even that wasn't easy. I had to get a special waiver from the Pentagon because of my surgeries. I had to have coach Herbert and coach bot and coach Detman all write letters, uh, on my behalf. Those were the three strength coaches we had and basically saying like, this guy's physically capable, his shoulders, you know, are capable of, which I think was probably a lie, um, of, of handling it. So, you know, I went in and, uh, like I said, I chose the infantry. Um, and eventually after my first tour, which was in Iraq, I was recruited to try out for the sniper platoon, um, which was, you know, like a, a, it's a challenging selection process. And then from there, once you're in that platoon, it's interesting. It's very similar to football, right? So in a sniper platoon, you, you, it's a cast system. So only the best Marines get into the sniper platoon from across the entire Marine Corps. And, but then when you're in, you're not a sniper only, you're only a sniper once you've gone to and graduated from sniper school. And so you get in the platoon and there's, again, there's two classes of Marines. There's hogs. People who have graduated sniper school are called hogs, hunters of gunmen. And then everybody else is a pig. And the worst thing in the world to be is a pig. 
being a pig in a sniper in a sniper platoon is like the worst form of hazing every day all day and they're just prepping you to maybe get a shot at sniper school to become a hog and so for like six months i'm a pig in the sniper platoon every day miserable miserable and uh finally i was you know they, they picked kind of like their best pigs to go to sniper school which i did so then i go to sniper school it's like 32 of us uh, from across the Marine Corps and, you know, again, the best pigs who are the best Marines from across the battalion. So it was kind of like that moment showing up on campus. Like, oh, like, oh, these are, these are good Marines, right? Only 14 of us graduated out of 32. And, uh, and I was lucky, man. Like I almost failed the first week land nav, land navigation, map and compass. Um, it's like an eight hour event. You're, you're you got a pack with a, with a sandbag in your pack. On top of the sandbag, they put what's called a prick 19 radio. So you're probably carrying like 60, 65 pounds on your back, plus a bunch of other equipment. And you probably have to make like, I don't know, 12 or 14 miles of movement to find these waypoints across these, this mountainous terrain. And uh, it's hard. It's hard physically. It's like really physically hard, but it's also very hard from a skill perspective. And I didn't, I didn't make it. I didn't make all six or eight six or eight waypoints my first one and i got blisters on my feet that were so bad my sniper partner had to take a knife cut open the blisters that night and the next day you had one more chance to to pass land nav i had him him duct tape my feet i literally like like ankle tape i had him duct tape my feet underneath my boots so that i could like literally walk like i was on stilts with these blisters and i made like the 12 miles of waypoints with duct taped feet. And, uh, I didn't even take the duct tape off for another like 24 hours because it was like too painful, too sensitive. I like, I, I wanted it to like wear off a little bit before I had him remove the duct tape. So through all of these like trials and tribulations, like and physical pain, what is the thing that's keeping you going and pushing you? Because like, you know, obviously for like 99.99% of people, like they're never going to be able to do something as physically and mentally taxing as that. So what sort of is the center of your drive? I mean, like, don't like to quit. I don't like to lose. Right. So, I mean, that's a pretty big driver, <laughs> you know, it's what helps to be an entrepreneur too. Like if you like losing, you're not going to last very long as an entrepreneur. So you better like the taste of victory and be you know ready and willing to win like regardless of the pain and um i you know like i i i had a hard time staying healthy but i don't think anybody thought i wasn't tough right and so like you know i wasn't bernie tough but like I, i'm a tough guy and so like a part of it's just like dude this sucks i'm gonna clench my jaw and i'm gonna go through it and i think the marine corps is really good about that um you know, instilling this mentality within Marines of like, hey, we might be doing this 30 mile forced march. And if you think about it as 30 miles, it's going to be really hard to make it. If you think about it as, hey, I've got to make 31 mile marches, that's a little bit easier. But at the end of the day, on mile 29, can I make one more step? And you can always make one more step. So make one step and then think about the next one. And like, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Every step's painful, but every step's possible. Uh, that's a great mindset. Oh, sorry, Matt Perkins. I'm jumping in because the saws are down for now. Go for right it, buddy. Uh, so, Jake, how many how many tours did you go on? So I only did two. I did one in Iraq um, in 2007 during what was called the surge um, in an area called uh, Anbar Province outside of Fallujah. Mm -hmm. um, 
also known as the Triangle of Death. So it was a lovely spot. And then um, after sniper school, I was sent in a six-man team to uh, an area of Afghanistan called the Helmand Valley, um, which was a to, to contextualize that, Afghanistan is often reported as supplying about 90% of the world's opium and about 75% of Afghans, Afghanistan's opium comes from the Helmand Valley. So most people don't understand that like the Taliban is all like also like a narco, like drug trafficking empire. And so you can imagine like we were operating in some, like a, a very interesting environment. <laughs> um, I've seen some of your videos. So yeah, 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 they're pretty wild. But but I think something that's really special is when you came back, you started Team Rubicon, which has really elevated a lot of people. What what was the thought behind that? I mean, yeah, to be I mean, to be honest, there was no thought behind it, right? So I got out of the Marine Corps in late 09. Um, and the plan was I was gonna go back to business school, I was gonna get my MBA. Um, I had my sights set on Stanford, right? I didn't go the first time. I was like, I want to get in and go get my MBA from Stanford. So I applied to Stanford. I got rejected in early January. Um, and that really pissed me off. And like a couple days after I got my rejection letter from Stanford, um, you know, it's funny. They didn't put a football stamp on it the second time. Um, I, I got my rejection letter and the Haiti earthquake happened. So, I, you know, I'm like not working because I'm waiting to, you know, get these decisions and figure out where I'm going to be. And I, you know, watch the earthquake unfold and I just get this urge to go help. And so I, you know, put out a call for people that I had served with and we ended up getting this team together. Like, you know, other people like Jeff Lang, who we played with for a few years in Wisconsin, was a firefighter in Milwaukee. He raised his hand and then I posted on Facebook, you know, my PayPal account, my personal PayPal. I was like, hey, like I'm trying to raise some money to get this team down there. And guys like Jimmy Leonard, right, who was playing in the NFL at the time. You know, it was one in Owen Daniels, like these guys like put, you know, put in like a thousand bucks, a couple thousand bucks to like jumpstart it. Like that Badger network was still really, really strong. And um, it was it was remarkable. So like we get down to Haiti, we've got eight guys. We're like, hey, let's give this team a name. We call it Team Rubicon. We're like, you know, taking ourselves probably too seriously. Get down there. It's the worst. It's honestly, it's like the worst catastrophe I've ever seen in my life. hundred thousand people were killed instantly in that. 100, another hundred fifty thousand people died later. Like. We would we would literally be moving through the streets. We'd see people that were bound and executed on the streets and like in gang retribution killings. Like it was wild. And we were down there for two or three weeks and like helping helping people that were victims of the of the earthquake. And then it just never stopped. And you know, 15 years later, you know, the organization's got 160,000 volunteers. It's responded to 1,200 or 1,300 disasters and crises around the globe. And um, it was the it was the ride of a lifetime, I'll tell you that, but totally unplanned and totally unexpected. What was the moment in Team Rubicon where you said where you realized this was more than just like a two or three week tour in Haiti, if you would? Like when did you realize this was gonna be like the next part of your life? I you know, it's hard to say. Like we 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 came back from Haiti thinking like, hey, we'll kind of continue to do this like as a hobby. So it was kind of like we we came back. I was I was going to start grad school in the fall, so I had a couple months. So I spent the summer like, you know, people were applying to join the team, and I'd like you know get resumes. Be like, all right, like you're in, you're out, you're in. And it was kind of like a, an old boys club, you know. It's like, you know, our uh, our uh, what's it? Our, our our disaster response team, our drinking team has a disaster response problem, you know, like what, whatever those softball league T-shirts say. I like that. And um, 
but like, but it was going to be like, nobody was ever going to do it full time. You know, when bad things happened, we'd put up the bat signal and people would go and, you know, take a week or two to go save the world. And, uh, but then it just, it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And and so finally it was like, all right, like, are we going to commit to this? You know, there's, there's something here. And so it's, it's hard to like really pin a single moment. Like there were of course, of course, moments, some of them were tragic, but like, you know, we got to a point where it was like, all right, I dropped out of grad school to do it. And, uh, and at that time, like, all right, it's on. So Jake, when you're showing up to these places, these disaster sites, like Haiti the first time, where are you staying? Like, do you guys, are you guys have resources? Like, are you just boots on the ground saying, we're just going to eat whatever we can find? Like, is, are you, you're basically immersed in the, in the environment? What, what is that like? I mean, Haiti, we made a drug deal with a local missionary, um, where they had a walled compound, um, near the airport and it had a freshwater well in it. Um, so there were a bunch of like Jesuit missionaries that were there. Um, and so we basically made this deal with them where we could stay within their compound in tents, um, get, have access to some fresh water and we would provide like security assessments for them and, and like, not like armed security. We weren't, we weren't armed, but like, you know, push came to shove, like they probably wanted us inside that compound. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's how Haiti played out. But I mean, it's, you know, we we respond to hundreds of communities across the United States every year. And, you know, most of the times we were deploying these teams they are staying in uh, high school gymnasiums on cots or they're staying in churches, uh, sleeping on the pews. And it's it's really amazing to see how these communities in the United States will come together uh, after a flood or hurricane or fire and, and really welcome Team Rubicon in. And that's what our, our team is looking for that, man. They're, they're looking for like a little bit of hardship. You know, they, most of them serve in the military. This idea of like going on a mission is like a powerful uh, opportunity for them to reconnect with that sense of purpose that they had. And they don't want to be staying at the Hilton. Like they don't like, it's not like, Hey, well, I stayed at a holiday Inn express last night. I'm here to save the world. It's like, no, you know, Hey, I packed my ruck. I've got my sleeping bag. All I need is a cot. If you don't have a cot, I'll sleep on the ground. And that's like part of the experience. It's pretty remarkable. So, three years ago, you walked, you launched Groundswell. And what was the impetus? So to, you know, start and take on a new venture, right? Because Team Rubicon's going great, you probably easily could have stayed there, been the CEO and run things and had a very comfortable life. What made you want to sort of, you know, go into something that's, you know, related, right, when it comes to being like, you know, uh, philanthropy, volunteer driven, but it's it, it's it's very different than what you were doing with Team Rubicon. So, like, what pushed you to do that? Yeah, well, I've never been very comfortable being comfortable. So uh, it, it was like literally a moment ten years into Team Rubicon where I'm like, this is kind of easy now, right? Like, I had this amazing executive team. My job, like, I, I would make like six consequential decisions a year, which is what a CEO should be doing at a mature, you know, enterprise level organization. But it's not really what I, I wasn't enjoying it as much. And then, you know, there's all sorts of other factors that went into it. And and I, I had also met a lot of nonprofit founders that had been running their nonprofit for 30 or 40 years. And I always looked at them like, I don't think that's good. Like organizations need to evolve. Like you need fresh ideas. And I always looked at these guys. I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. And so, you know, I had a, a, a great uh, number two. I thought it was time. I, I, you know, promoted him. I stepped stepped aside. I'm still super involved as chairman of the board. And, and that's, you know, it's, it's a, you know, I work 
seven, eight hours a week as chairman of the board. It's not a, it's not a lightweight job, but, um, wanted to be an entrepreneur again. So I kind of, and I wanted to do it on the for-profit side, but I still wanted to have impact in some way, um, that it kind of become a part of who I was. And so, um, you know, I had, I had observed a lot of things when I was running team Rubicon and some of that was the inefficiency in corporate philanthropy. And I had some ideas for how I thought it could be better started talking to some folks and, and I started talking to some venture capitalists and you know, you could start to see the wheels turning and you get enough um, positive reactions to, you know, what's a kind of a napkin business plan. You start to say, okay, there's something here. And so I put, you know, I put a you know, small team together. We went out and we pitched VCs in Silicon Valley and um, you know, we were fortunate. We raised a big chunk of money in 2021. Google Ventures led the round and it was awesome because, you know, I think most people think of Google and you think of Google, right? Like it's, it's like a behemoth that just prints money. And you kind of, a lot of people are like, why would Google invest in like a social impact technology company? It's like, they, they think it's a billion dollar company, right? Like they're in it to make money. They didn't, they didn't like write us a check for charity. They, they, they wrote us a check because they expect us to give us a thousand times that money back. Um, so the pressure's on, <laughs> but they've been, they've been an amazing partner. We've got other amazing investors. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a wild ride. So I know we only have you for a couple more minutes and also it's daycare pickup for my little teeny coach, Huber. She yeah. runs my show. Little Bernie. Little Bernie. Um, <clears throat> dude, what, so I would love to hear what you think, but I've obviously followed your career. I think it's, it's astonishing. One of the coolest things, and maybe to you, it's super meaningful. Um, I thought it was very cool. Is you won the ESPN Pat Tillman award. Was that because he was in the military too? Is that something that is like extremely heartfelt for you? Were you like, did that come out of left field? Because that to me was, I was like, man, this dude wrote me an email in 2000. You know, it's like, to me, it was, yeah. it, it was like the, I don't know. I was just so thrilled for you. And I just thought it was yeah. so cool. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. I mean, let's make it clear. Like I always aspired to win a different kind of SP. Um, but, uh, listen, it was, you know, we didn't talk about it, but like, you know, Pat Tillman's death in 2004 happened right after spring ball of my junior year. So like, right, right after I had that conversation with coach Huber about like, Hey, I can't rely on you. I was back home two days before my sister's wedding in Iowa. And like the news broke about Pat Tillman's death. And so I was already thinking about like, what's next. Like I was at that moment and, that was like a profound uh, moment for me and, and probably the one that pushed me over the edge on the decision to join. So yeah, when, when um, uh, you know, the Tillman Foundation called and said, uh, you know, hey, we'd like you to be the honoree for, for this year's Tillman Award, would you be interested in accepting? I'm like, do you really have to ask that question? Like, of course. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. Like, you know, it was, I don't know, 14 years after his death and 14 years after, like I'd made that decision to, to, to join the, the military. And so like, yeah, pretty full circle and powerful moment for me. And, um, you know, obviously reflective of so many people in my life and the, you know, the, we talked, we spent a lot of time talking about me today, but like, you know, you know, my wife, my co-founders, my, you know, everybody that's been on the team, like, it's been uh, a remarkable journey with a lot of luck and a lot of people that have like picked me up and dusted me off um, 
both literally after those dislocated shoulders, but, you know, figuratively as well. So been been interesting for sure. Well, we cannot thank you enough for for joining us here today. Um, make sure to check out more about Team Rubicon, uh, teamrubiconusa.org and groundswell.io when it comes to Groundswell um, and all the great work that he is doing there. Um, it's It's been an honor. Bernie knows that since Bernie and I met, what, three years ago, we started talking about who do we want to get on the podcast. He was one of the first names to ever come out of my mouth. So it's really had to take three years <laughs> because, I, because I don't know how to get in touch with people. So that's what I rely on this guy for. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it's an honor. Thank every, Thank you, everyone, for tuning in here to Believe in Badgers on the Believe Network presented by BetOnline.ag and Oakbridge Wealth Management. Uh, we'll be back again sometime soon with another interview. Um, but we appreciate Jake's time. And until next time. Jake Wood for president. For <laughs> there we I go. Would, I would Dude, when are you running? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.